How do successful companies create products that people can't put down? Why do some products capture widespread attention while others flop? What makes us engage with certain products out of sheer habit? Is there a pattern underlying how technologies hook us? Well, hello you guys. This week's summary is going to be hooked by Nir Eyal. And well, first of all, I would like to explain you that the uses of the hook model explained and justified and exemplified in this book are for products and services, especially for creating products that, as we said, you can't put down. Now, how does the hook model work? First, you have to know it has four simple steps. Step number one, trigger. Number two, action. Number three, reward. And number four, investment. Let's analyze each of these steps separately, okay? So well, the trigger is the motivator to conduct. And there are two types of triggers. There are internal and external. And then there is action. The action is the conduct that is realized in anticipation of the reward. And then there is the fourth step, which is the reward. And what this model creates is desire. And why does it create desire? It creates desire because the rewards that they are teaching you to use are varied. It's not the same reward time after time. It changes. And the surprise and intrigue that this creates inside you of knowing what the surprise might be is what is important in the hook model. And the last phase is where you must like get a little bit of a job done because the investment only occurs when the user invests in the service or the product. And he must invest something like his or her time, data, effort, capital, money, anything like that. And the investment implicates an action that will improve the service when he goes back into the cycle of doing that. The hook model is great for liberating the power that innovators and entrepreneurs have to influence the life of billions of people. Now, there is the trio of access, information, and velocity that they present an unprecedented opportunity to create positive habits in people's lives. When we take advantage of this correctly, the technology can be better through healthy conducts that potentiate human relationships, that they make us smarter and more productive. And we, if we use this these three main things irresponsibly, we will create bad habits that can rapidly degenerate us into addictive zombies of anything. For example, let's say, I mean, you use this access information and velocity in a bad way and then, I don't know, a user becomes addicted to watching TikTok videos just because so, while well, he has other things to do. And then it's a waste of time. You're not being more productive. You're not being smarter. You know what I mean? But if you use it in the right way, it is a positive habit that improves someone's life. And the technology to 
to design products that form habits is here and it is being used to model our own lives. And the fact that we have such a wide access to the internet and to information through various devices, smartphones, tablets, televisions, games, anything. This gives actually companies a great ability to affect our conduct. And well, let's move on with this zone of habit. And well, habits are formed when the brain takes shortcuts and it stops activity deliberately so that it can keep doing what it is doing. The brain can rapidly learn to codify conducts that provide a solution for a situation that you're facing. And habits are good for companies as much as for you because products that form habits can change the conduct of the user and therefore they create compromise with the user. Before entering in the mechanisms of how habits are created, we must first understand their importance and the competitive benefits that they offer for a business. The formation of habits is good for business in many ways. For example, a company can determine its potential by creating a product that forms habit, having into account two main factors. The first one is the frequency. I mean, how often does, does the use occur? How often does the user look for the product or service, etc. And the second factor is the utility perceived. How useful and how, how potentially useful it is the reward for the user and how does this affect the conduct in the mind of the user. For example, maybe you look up things in Google very frequently, but the utility that you're perceiving is not so great. However, you don't look for things so frequently in Amazon, but there is a greater utility perceived because maybe you end up buying something that has a lot of value for you. This influences in the time that it takes to form a habit. Think of the products and services that you can identify as habit formers. These are used daily and multiple times a day. <laughs> now, Let's move over to how we use these products and why we use them frequently. It has never been easy to launch a new product or service, overall having into account that they mostly fail. And why is this? Products fail because of wide variety of reasons. Maybe the company is lacking money, maybe the product entered the market too early or too late, maybe the consumers don't need the product or they don't see the need of the product, maybe some, some entrepreneurs just quit due to the pressure and they cannot stand it. Failure has many causes, but success can also be attributed to many, many causes. You can like, first of all, think of a type of problem that your product will solve. If it solves important products or satisfies immediate needs, it most likely will be successful. With this clarification, we should divide products between calmings or vitamins. 
Comics resolve like obvious immediate needs. They, alle they alleviate a specific pain and often they have quantifiable markets. However, vitamins don't necessarily like alleviate pain. Instead, they appeal to users' emotions, not to functional needs. The final objective that a product has is to develop habits that alleviate pain of the user to create an association that will allow them to identify the product or service as a source that takes pain away, if you get what I'm saying. The first of all thing that companies should do is identify a specific frustration or a specific weak point in emotional terms instead of like looking for characteristics that the product should have, just because it sounds good. But first of all, how can a designer discover the reason why a user is in pain or in some kind of frustration or going through a hard time in any aspect? The best place to start is learning about the things that have already developed good habits through products. It's learning about the stimuli that caused that. And it, it is not for like necessarily copying the stimuli, it is to understand how it solved the problem for the user. And what you're doing here is actually looking for a trigger. And a good advice to find triggers is to focus on something and ask why until you reach the reason. This is actually a very like popular technique called the five whys and it basically consists of asking why until you reach the deepest reason that there is for something to happen. And well, the next phase in the hook model is action. The trigger is like you can get to know that by internal or external clues as we said before because this this trigger informs the user what to do like it it motivates him it brings him to action however the user will not take action unless it is a good trigger and to start the action you must have three things before finding your trigger you must find motivation you must be able like you must make sure that the user can actually have the capacity to fulfill the action and then of course the trigger motivation is the desire of like realizing the action and the capacity means if the user can or not realize the task and the easier the task is to do, the better and faster will the process be. The technology to simplify tasks, to eliminate steps in the process is available to you. You have to think of eliminating extra steps more than anything else. Simplify everything that you can. And to make your life easier, we're giving you tips of, on how to simplify things. First of all, you must think about the time that it takes to complete that action. Do anything you can to shorten that time. Then you have to think about money. Like, is it gonna cost the user anything to complete the action? Then think about physical effort. How much 
work is needed to fulfill the task. Then you must think about the cycles of the brain. With this, we basically mean the mental effort and concentration that is required for the action. Then there is the social deviation. You have to think about how much is this conduct accepted by the public. Like maybe for example, like nowadays it's been really popular to like motivate body acceptance and so forth. So like you have to think about the trends that there are on the market right now. And then there is the non-routine. You have to think if your process or your task that you want to do is going to actually like need you to tumble another habit that is already in place because that is going to be hard and you need a good strategy for that. If you simplify something basing yourself on these factors, it will become really efficient with whatever you're doing. And obviously, the more efficient something is, the better. Remember that the human mind takes shortcuts whenever it can. We are lazy that way. The more shortcuts we find, the better we feel, the more motivated we feel actually. And doing this with information of your environment to generate rapid decisions is the key. Logically, we don't always take the best decisions and we make like wrong judgments and we make mistakes but we need more information for that. And now we have reached the point of variable reward. We already saw how to reduce steps and facilitate the process. And we know that this will increase the probability of fulfilling that specific action that we want. But to keep someone entertained, to keep someone hooked, they need to do it again. And for that, they need a reward. In this phase, the reward for the users, to which we're solving a problem for, the reward is actually going to like reinforce their motivation. But first you must understand why rewards, and particularly variable rewards, are so powerful. First, let's understand how our brain works. Our brain likes pleasure. Some basic examples of pleasure are sex, a delicious meal, going like to the mall, shopping, watching social networks. All of that is like a recess for our brain. It's like a rest from regular boring life. And our brains are adapted to look for these things that makes us feel accepted, attractive, important and included in society. Well, psychologically, we search for that. And evolved, like in terms of evolution, we have also adapted to look for certain things. For example, the necessity of acquiring physical objects such as food and other elements so that we can survive. That is part of the operational part of our brain. And variable rewards must must satisfy the needs of the user while we leave them wanting more so that then they can like be involved again with the product so that they want to be involved again. So let's take a recap. We saw that the change in attitude is necessary 
to get into the zone of habit. But in order for actual change to occur, there must be a change in how users perceive the content. Now, let's explore how little investments can change our perception by transforming actions that are not familiar, to start with, into daily habits. The stronger factor that affects how we turn like unfamiliar actions into these daily habits is compromise. Maybe compromise to somebody else or maybe to a concept. Compromise has a really powerful effect on us and it plays an important role in the things that we do and the products that we buy and the habits that we form. While the users invest more time or effort in a product or service, they value it more too. It's like we value everything we do and in a great measure actually. It's like, oh my god, I have already invested so much time in something, I better like keep doing it because if not, it was all for nothing. That is what we usually think. And there is actually wide evidence that suggests that, that work actually leads to love. The more you work, the more you love it. And well, we look also to be, to be consistent with our previous conducts and thoughts because that way we seem more rational and we seem like better people. For example, we look more, more, more loyal, more like intelligent, etc. And we like to like think that we have these attributes. And well, how can a conduct, how can a past conduct alterate our future actions? Well, we would like to think that we are free to choose our actions according to whatever we want. But our judgment is heavily influenced by our past actions. But actually, in fact, studies revealed that the past is an excellent predictor for your future. In a circuit of feedback, the key is action and reward. This is the only thing that can change a conduct, an immediate conduct. And once you make it enough, you create a pattern and then you have your habit. The hook model is not a structure to change a prior conduct, it is a pattern it is a designed pattern that looks to creating compromise in order to connect the problem of the user to the designed solution. To form the association that you need, you must create compromise from the user. Something more than a feedback cycle is needed. And the last phase is what makes this possible. It is the investment. It is the point in which you must do a little bit of work, actually. And the users are actionated into placing some value that increments the possibility of using the product and then like going backwards to the cycle. The investments are about anticipating the reward in the long term. It is not about immediate gratification. Then. External triggers must be used to bring the user back to start the cycle. And the hook model is designed to connect the problem of the user with the solution. That way they can create a habit. And this is like 
um, something to build products that resolve the needs of the user through long-term commitment. And now you're actually very well equipped to use the hook model. And you can do that by asking these five fundamental questions through the cycle. What do the users really want? What pain will your product alleviate? This is the internal trigger. Then you must ask yourself, what drives the users to your service? This is the external trigger. You must ask yourself, what is the simplest action that the users can do in anticipation of the reward? And how can you simplify your product to make this action easier? This is obviously the face of the action. And then, are the users satisfied with the reward and do they want more? This is your variable reward. And lastly, what small job are the users doing to invest in your product? Is this significant and this helps them accumulate value for them? This is the investment. And with that, we're done, people. Hope you liked it. See you next week.